Aren't you glad the Lord was merciful, amen? amen merciful to me. Boy, that grace and mercy is powerful stuff, amen? Amen, that's good. All right, let's take our Bibles. Turn over the book of John, John chapter 17. We're in our Doctrinal Delicacies series, okay? Doctrinal Delicacies. You say that ten times real fast, amen? But uh, we uh, are learning about some doctrines that are pretty tasty, pretty good. Doctrinal Delicacies. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the unsaved world a little bit and just take a look at that as we consider some things from the Word of God. John chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 17, and then we'll move along here tonight. 
The Bible reads there in John chapter 17, verse 13, And now come I to thee, these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. What a wonderful passage. In this particular passage, we recognize that God has a couple of different types of people in the world. Now, the world, you know, will categorize people based on a number of different criteria. The world may look at people and say, well, we'll base it on uh, nationality. We'll base it on gender. We'll base that distinction or categorization on race. Sometimes they'll base it on abilities. But the fact is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ or God himself doesn't see people that way. God sees people one of two ways. He either sees people saved, born again, in the family of God, or he sees people lost without Jesus Christ, headed to hell, and part of the devil's family. He only sees people one of two ways. Again, we may see it differently in our fleshly eyes, but God doesn't. And the fact is, is that in our passage, he makes it very clear that you and I tonight, as believers in Jesus Christ, may be in the world, but we are not of the world. There's a distinction to be made then between the lost world and the saved believers. And so tonight we want to take just a few moments and consider the unsaved world and look at it from God's perspective and maybe get an idea or a, a feel for what it is that we're responsible for, what our goals, our job ought to be, our purpose ought to be. And so we'll have a word of prayer tonight. We'll take a look at that for just a few moments before we dismiss this evening. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, it's our great privilege and pleasure to be in your house. God of heaven, um, there's no better place to be. What a wonderful thing it is to lift up the songs of Zion. Lord, just to, to hear that choir lift their voice in song and to hear the people of God raise the roof with their singing, Lord, to praise you in song. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship one with another. Lord, with so many hurts and heartaches in the world, we need a haven, a place of rest, a place to resort to, to catch R&R, to be built up and strengthened over and over again. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house even this evening. Fill me with your spirit. May I be your mouthpiece, Lord Jesus. Father, may you just be with your people and anoint every listening ear that we may hear with spiritual ears. God of heaven, may this not just be some rote exercise in our Christian experience. Father, may it truly make a difference in our life. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If we talk about the unsaved world, there's some questions we can ask. Number one, what's my responsibility to the unsaved world? What's my responsibility? Every one of us as children of God have a responsibility to those who are lost without Jesus Christ. One thing is 
then we need to show our love for God by living for Him. We have a responsibility to do this. The Bible teaches us over in the book of 2 Timothy. Turn there, if you would, please. We see the testimony of the Apostle Paul himself in reference to this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. There we read, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which come unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Notice again the Apostle Paul making a very important statement. He says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, we see here that the Apostle Paul very clearly says, listen, my life has been lived with a purpose. And my purpose is to obviously honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also to present Christ before a world that's lost and dying. I want the world to know that I love Jesus Christ. I want the world to know that my life has been saved and bought with a price. I want the world to know. That something's different about Mark O'Donnell tonight than it was years ago. I'm not the same person I was. And the love of God is to be reflected in my look, outlook and, and in my life and my, with my lips. And it ought to be in every aspect of my life revealed. And that's exactly what our responsibility is. To show our love for God by living for Him. I mean, let's face it, talk is cheap, is it not? Years ago, uh, I learned a statement, and you've heard it over and over again, I'm sure, other places as well. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your talk talks louder than your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You, you, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. All right, I got it right. Took me a while. And you know what? That's a reality. That's a truth, isn't it? And you know, as believers, we have a responsibility to walk. Not just talk the Christian life. And so it's important that we keep that in mind. Our life is our platform, folks. It's our platform. It, apprise, it, 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 uh, it enables us to speak. It enables us to share. It gives us a platform by which it gives us authority in the eyes of others. Show your love for God by living for Him. Also, demonstrate the power of Christ in your life. Demonstrate the power of Christ in your life. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, but the Bible's teaching us here that we are to, to, to let the world see our good works and then to demonstrate the power of God through those works. They need to know that God's real tonight. They won't know that unless they see Him or evidence, evidence of Him in our life and, and powerfully moving in our life. I mean, how do we do that? Well, let your moderation be known. Let your moderation be known. Well, that word moderation means restraint of violent passions or indulgence of appetite. A restraint. Moderation. Now, this past weekend, we went to the men's conference in Mansfield. I can honestly tell you, there was very little moderation 
demonstrated on Friday evening. We drove down there and we made our way to the uh, Cracker Barrel as we arrived. It was about 5 o'clock by the time we actually got to, into the restaurant and ate. It was 7 o'clock when the service began. It was 10 o'clock when the service ended. And there you had all-you-could-eat pizza. So we'd eat a Cracker Barrel at seven o'clock. Uh, it's five o'clock. We it's now ten o'clock. So of course we're very hungry at that point, famished. And so we ate plenty of pizza. And then a number of the guys decided that well, it's time to exercise a little bit of restraint. Well, maybe not restraint. We went to the Steak and Shake. Now at the Steak and Shake, there was even a couple of the guys who especially did not did not exercise moderation. A couple of the guys got what's called the seven by seven. That's seven pieces of meat, seven pieces of cheese on a burger, fries, and they ate that after eating four or five pieces of pizza that night, as well as eating at the, I mean, this is a men's conference. And this is living, my friends. That is life at its finest. But there was no moderation being exhibited there as we were eating food again, drinking milkshakes, and having a good time at probably 11, 30, 12 at night. Now, <clears throat> the fact is that we must help the world to see that there's nothing in our life that rules us but the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what moderation's really about. Not allowing anything to... to control us in a sense. We, we are moderate in all things, and as a result of that, Christ alone rules in our heart, rules in our life. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, the apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, makes the statement, he says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. You want to know why? He was brought under the power of the Holy Spirit. He was yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your moderation be known. You want to demonstrate the power of Christ in your life? Let your moderation be known. Number two, maintain healthy separation. If, if you really want the power of Christ to be revealed in your life before a world that's lost, dying, going to hell, then you need to maintain a healthy separation. Take your Bible, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. These could be probably some of the best verses in the Bible on separation. <clears throat> most well-known. Most comprehensive, probably, of all. They wrap everything up pretty tightly. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. <clears throat> be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What's the answer to all the questions? None. 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 Verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, or as a result of all of that, 
Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Very little is made of separation anymore. We're afraid to talk about it because we're afraid we'll lose people. We're, we're afraid to express the fact that God is still holy and separation is an aspect of holiness. That it's not just enough to be so-called holy on the inside. That God is a little concerned about the outside too. I mean, we've kind of come to a place in our world and in the church culture that, that there's this mentality almost of, well, no one has a right to judge anybody. And what you do and what I do, everybody has their pet sins. And the fact is, is that what God is concerned about more than anything is the inside. So get off my back about the outside. The only problem is, is that the inside is reflected on the outside. Don't you know what the Bible teaches in the book of Matthew when it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh? That means what's in the heart ultimately comes out of the mouth. Now listen, if you tell me that you don't need to be separated visibly, then you've told me already you haven't made a separation internally. There is a distinction and a separation that takes place in our life. We understand that we are to be separated from the world to God. Now listen, to God is important. It's not enough to be separated from the world alone. We have to be separated unto Christ. Listen, nobody in their right mind that reads the Bible thinks that you can be right on the outside, or excuse me, right on the inside simply because you look right on the outside. No, no, nobody is that moronic. Nobody that's ever read the Bible is that ignorant. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why we think we've created some new doctrine today in Christianity. We've come to some new wonderful conclusions. We have somehow finally arrived and obtained to some level that we've never understood that God doesn't care about how we look, how we act, how we talk. All he cares about is whether we love him. If we love him, we'll be separated. That's the reality of it. And anybody that's read that book knows that you take that law in the Old Testament and you recognize that there is a moral law to be fulfilled and to live up to. We understand you can't be saved by living up to it because you can't measure up to it. But it is a moral law and it has not gone away. God still intends that we live morally and righteously and holy in this life. God help us to quit throwing out our standards and somehow trying to justify that by being spiritual. You are not spiritual if you have no desire to be separated from the world. The same God that said that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh is the same God that demands a heart toward him. A heart and a life. It, you can't separate the two. It's like dividing separate, uh, inspiration from preservation. You can't do it. Big battle years ago about whether the Bible's truly inspired or what we have in our hand isn't really inspired word of God. It's inspired. If it's been preserved perfectly, then it's exactly what was given. You can't separate the inspiration from the preservation. You can't separate the heart of man from his actions and attitude. And God's trying to help us today. The world does not see your heart. They only see your looks, your life, and your lips. It's so important that we understand that. R.B.O. Led at our recent conference did a pretty good job of explaining that, didn't he, gentlemen? 
Everything in our Christian life must be filtered through the Word of God to ensure that all that we do, say, and think is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Now, now watch, listen to this verse. You, you love this verse. You, I hope you know this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When you read that or hear that verse, what do you feel is being emphasized more than anything in the passage? The heart or the life? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It almost feels like the heart's what's mostly, most emphasized to me. But the truth is they're both emphasized. What is seen and heard and what is in the heart. You can't separate them. And that's exactly what Christianity has tried to do today with standards. We've tried to draw a line and say, this is what's most important over here. This, well, that's, we leave that up to every individual Christian. God seems to think it's pretty important. And you know what? If we're going to maintain a healthy relationship with the Word, if we're going to be the kind of life that will demonstrate the power of Christ, then we must maintain healthy separation. Also, not only let your moderation be known, maintain healthy separation, but also be faithful and consistent. Be faithful and consistent. It, I, I love the story about Dr. Carl Hatch. You know, Dr. Carl Hatch's testimony, and he had a neighbor there, and his neighbor would always say, he'd say, Carl! He'd say, love ya, praying for ya. Carl Hatch would go, shut up! Oh, that, you got to listen to the tape, that's why he does it. He'd say, every time I come out of my house, he'd Carl, love ya, praying for ya, show up. <laughs> Carl Hatch wanted nothing at all to do with God, wanted nothing to do with, with, with the Word of God. He was a drunkard. He beat his wife. He was a mess. But thank God, every day, he watched that man next door, he said, pull out of his driveway and go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And every time he saw him, he'd say consistently, love ya, praying for ya, Carl. Consistency. Consistency. Faithfulness. That made a difference and it made an impact in his life. Carl Hatch went on to get saved ultimately. He went on to be an evangelist. Thousands and thousands of people are in heaven today because of the ministry and testimony of Carl Hatch. All because of the faithfulness and the consistency of a neighbor who said, going to church is important. My neighbors might be watching whether or not I'm going. You say, I don't think we should serve God for other people. Well, why'd Jesus die for you? I mean, what are you, what, why did he come to earth? Was it for himself? He came for others. What do you mean our whole Christian lives live for others? Are we so prideful, so arrogant, so self-absorbed that we honestly think this Christian life's all about us being comfortable? Is this really about me? Or is this about others? 
Be faithful and consistent in your church attendance. In your relationships, be consistent. Be faithful. In your, your attitudes, be consistent. Be faithful. How are we to respond to this unsaved world? I mean, what's our responsibility? As we noted already, show our love for God by living for Him. Demonstrate the power of Christ in our lives. And then also, maintain a good report with them. Maintain a good report. Is that, what are you talking about? Well, turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 21, we, we simply read these words. He goes on to say, Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. <clears throat> Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We need to be honest in all our dealings with the world. <clears throat> And it's happened. Somebody testified about it not too awfully long ago, but how, you know, you may go to a checkout counter and whether it's at a restaurant or possibly even at uh, one of these uh, dollar stores or something, you go through the line and somebody gives you the wrong change back. You have more change than, than what you should have gotten back. And the temptation, obviously, is, oh, come on now. I, there's three more people lined up, and I'm sure I'm going to go back there, make a big scene, and those people, I'll probably end up having to wait till they're done with this person. I'm in a hurry. I got place to go. I got things to get accomplished. Wasn't my fault anyway. So what? They gave me an extra 75 cents. So what? They gave me an extra two bucks. So what? They gave me a five instead of a one. Big deal. They make a lot of money. They've got all kind of money. We can justify those things, but in the long run, we need to be honest in all our dealings. If I'm aware that I've been given too much change, I have a responsibility to the world that God tells me I'm to serve. To go back and say, hey, uh, 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 you gave me too much. Oh, I did? Yeah. That happened to me in McDonald's drive-thru not too awfully long ago. And the girl said, no, I think I gave you the right change. And I said, okay, but what if you're wrong? At the end of the night, would you rather have an extra so much or not enough? Would you rather me pay for it or you pay for it at the end of the night? Now listen, I know for a fact she gave me the wrong change. I know for a fact. I'm pretty good at that stuff. So she went, well, if you really think, I said, without a doubt, I think. Matter of fact, here's a track. Come visit us, too, when you find out that I was right. Now, she hasn't been back. But let me tell you something. I was right. I guarantee you she'd have been short in her drawer. And at the end of the night, she may never come to Community Baptist Temple, but what she will know is there was one honest person that came through that drive-thru that night. There may have been a bunch of others, but she knows for a fact one of them was honest. And you know what? It's important that we are honest with the world. It's so important. Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, wherever it might be, we need to be honest in our dealings. Not only that, but we need to submit to authority. When we're talking about maintaining a good report among them, then we need to submit to authority. Now that, that's tough to do sometimes, isn't it? Now every, every parent in the room wants their children to submit to their authority. 
You submit to my authority. I'm dad. I'm mom. You do what I tell you. You want to live a long life? You better. I mean, biblically, of course, that's what the Bible says. But practically, you better, too. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, we, we demand it. We expect it. We want it. But all of a sudden, when it comes to being a child of God, and God says, you need to follow me. You need to obey me. And one of my rules and one of my desires is that you submit to those in authority over you. You know, like the boss at work. The boss at work. Thank you, preacher. What a blessing this is. I've, oh, I, he, he or she's such a wonderful person. Doesn't matter what, they're, what kind of person they are. Doesn't matter about their integrity. Doesn't matter about their particular character. What matters is about your character and integrity. About your walk with God. Because ultimately, you are maybe or possibly the only Bible to ever read. At work. At home. Wow, here we go. Let's see what it's saying. Children are to, to obey their what? Their parents in the Lord. Wives are to submit to what? That one we've left out. We don't want to talk about that one much because that doesn't fit our culture very well. That's not very politically correct any longer. You don't have to. Ladies, you don't have to. Listen, I'm telling you. I, I'm giving you a pass right now. You don't have to submit to your husband. You really don't. He can't make you. I'm going to tell you that right now. He can't make you. But I think it's in your best interest if you really want the kind of household that God intended you to have, the kind of relationship God wanted you to have, and ultimately the kind of husband that he wants your husband to be. Really, your husband can never be what he's supposed to be without your help, ladies. That's just the reality of it. He needs you to be the kind of godly wife that God intended because otherwise he will never reach his potential either. And truthfully, if he doesn't become what he's supposed to be, he'll never be able to help the wife reach her potential. The government. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 1, you know, we have that passage there, and, and, and it's not one that we always like when it comes to speed traps and things, but let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You, you know, when you think about that, the powers are ordained of God. You know, we look at our government, we look at our local authorities, and we think to ourselves sometimes, they don't even know what they're doing. They have no common sense at all. I mean, what kind of, what kind of leader are they? I mean, can we even use that term? I mean, let's be honest. You know, I'm just saying what you think. And you want to know something? It doesn't matter, though, again. We're still to pray for those in authority over us. We're still to submit to their authority. We're still to give them uh, 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 our submission and the honor that they deserve as a right to the position that they hold. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But again, the unsaved world what do they have to look forward to? This is all they have. This is as good as it gets. Honestly, this is it. And somebody says, man, this is all right. This is fleeting. This is temporal. 
This life bears so many burdens in the long run. And, and if we live long enough, we know what pain is. We know what suffering is. We know what hurt and heartache is. This is it for them. The best it will ever be. It only gets worse after this. And maybe you and I, our attitude, our outlook, our actions can possibly change their eternal destination. We need to be good citizens. That means we need to pay our taxes. I'm not saying you don't try to beat it any way you possibly can. I'm not saying you don't look for tax shelters. I'm not saying you don't look for any way you possibly get out of paying taxes legally. But let's be honest. It's easy to justify not paying taxes to a government who throws our money away. It really is easy. It's very easy to do that. But it's not right. Obey laws. Not all the laws make sense. How in the world do you justify a law that says you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet, but you have to put a seatbelt on in a car? Are you kidding me? Who in the world comes up with that? I'll tell you who comes up with that. A greedy politician who wants to make money. There's nothing about safety there. It's more safe to rattle around inside that car than it is to rattle around outside without a helmet. I mean, are you kidding me? I've got at least a bunch of steel around me. It makes no sense. But it doesn't change the fact that we're to obey the law. I remember when I was in uh, uh, Oklahoma, in Lawton, Oklahoma, when I was in the military, I remember you had to wear a seatbelt on base. You didn't have to wear it off base. Because it wasn't a law at that point. I, would, I, I despised having to wear a seatbelt. I despised it just because they made me wear it. And I would, come, I would go right up there and, and I would go up right up to the edge and I would, man, I ain't wearing a seatbelt. Forget that. Who cares? They'd have checkpoints all the time, though. They'd have these guys sitting out there with little lights flashing. They'd pull you over to see if you were drinking or if you didn't have your seatbelt on or something. And I'd throw that seatbelt on and go, whoa. When I get out of the army, I will never put a seatbelt on. Nobody will ever make me put a seatbelt on. I remember saying that over and over again. I mean it. I was fired up. I was ready to run for office. And it wasn't long after I got out. They said, you have to wear a seatbelt. And I looked up into the heavens. And I, had, I just knew that God wouldn't make me keep that one. But you want to know something? It's a law like any other law. And so what do I do? I put that seatbelt on. Someone says, well, it's for your own good. I know, but I hate being told I have to. Don't you hate not being able to do what you want to do? I'm not supposed to be like that. I'm a Christian, right? Because I get told what to do all the time from God. I just hate man telling me what to do. So what we find in is a couple of things. Show your love for God. This is first point. We'd have a bunch of them if I kept going. But what's my responsibility on saved world? Show your love for God by living for him. Demonstrate the power of Christ in your life. Maintain a good report among them. And then 
last, because of time, let me just give you this. Warn the lost and give them the gospel. That's a responsibility that we have to the lost world. You know, you, we talk, we've talked about that enough. I mean, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel that God holds us responsible to warn those that are lost in their sin. He holds us responsible. And someone says, that's Old Testament. Man, more than ever we're responsible to warn the lost. I mean, we're in the dispensation of grace. It's never been easier to get to heaven than it is now. Never. You say, easy? Easy for us. Not for him. It's easy for us. I don't know about you, but, you know, I used to think, and, and I thought this before, I wish I lived in the Old Testament. I wish I could have seen the Red Sea parted. I wish I could have seen, you know, that hail fall like lightning from the sky. I wish I could have been there when, when, Ezekiel, or when uh, uh, Elijah went off in that flaming chariot. I wish I could have gotten that mantle and had double the, you know what I'm saying. Not anymore. I, I really got a grasp on salvation a little bit as I got a little older in my life and I realized something. This is the best time in history to be living. Man, you can have that Old Testament. You can have that slaughter and all those animals and sacrifices and all that mess. I'll just take the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm content with that. That's fine with me. But with that blessing comes a responsibility to share with others that same blessing. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak, excuse me, if thou dost not speak to the, excuse me, I'm messing this all up just like I did this morning. Some of the singles remember what I'm talking about. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. We're not going to die and go to hell because we don't witness. You don't have to take anybody with you. Just go ahead, relax. Don't worry about the world. Let them die and go to hell. You're still safe, man. How cold did that just sound? And yet that's how we live. That's usually how we live, isn't it? See, when it's expressed like that, we go, oh my, that, that doesn't sound good at all. I didn't like that. I thought that was inappropriate. But that's how we live most of the time. Even as soul winners, even us that go out on Mondays or, and Tuesdays and, and go out on Saturdays and go out during the week and all those things, oh, oh, even those that do those things, when it's all said and done, there's people we pass by all the time, isn't there? how our hands are going to look at the judgment seat. Oh, I know we're cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I realize our sin will never be remembered. But, but come on. They're depending on us. If not now, when? If not us, who? We have a responsibility to the unsaved world to warn the lost and to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
tonight. We are so blessed to be a part of the family of God, aren't we? <laughs> Isn't it a great thing to be a child of God? Listen, let's face it. I mean, if we want to get all uptight, we can get all uptight about our Christian life, and we can worry that God's going to smack us over the head for everything we do wrong, and we can be worried about that baseball bat, celestial ball bat that's going to take our head off any moment. And if we really want to get all bent out of shape about it, we could. But hold on, you don't have to. I want you to know there's a God in heaven that loved you. He already, you he, he already have his favor. He does want you to live a life that's pleasing in his sight. Why? Because he, it opens this, the opportunities for him to bless you, to provide for you. And it also provides opportunity for others to see his goodness in action. Man, people need to see and hear the joy of the Lord. Man, we ought to be filled with joy. Why? Because that's how people see God. Every once in a while, I'll ask somebody, I'll say this. How's your joy? How's your joy? I, that, that alone will determine where you're at in your Christian life. That, that question alone determines. If you say, well, you just expressed the state of your spirituality. I'm struggling right now, preacher. Then you're struggling in your Christian walk. Because when you're close to Christ, when you're in fellowship with the Lord, there is joy. And the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. So if you lack joy, you also lack strength. That means you're more susceptible to temptation. That means you're more apt to fall. That means you're more open to wicked suggestion. How's your joy? Probably the greatest thing that all of us could do in this room is capture the joy of the Lord. To possess it and then to express that joy just in living life. I'm not one of these people that believes in, solely believes in um, lifestyle evangelism. I think lifestyle evangelism is an integral part of evangelism, but it, is not, it does not stand alone. We need both life and lips engaged. If we have lips engaged without a life engaged, we have a contradiction. We have hypocrisy. I am confident, however, if the life is engaged and the joy of the Lord is evident in our life, it's going to be hard to keep it inside. And when people hear us speak, they will know there's something different about us. When they watch our life, they'll recognize something unique. That joy, you, you can't miss it. It's better than a smile. I mean, it's like, you see somebody with a big smile, you go, that's so cheesy. That guy's a dork. Look at him up there. He's a real dork. You can't miss that smile, though. Stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? Why? Because there's not that many smiles anymore in life. And boy, when we have the joy of the Lord in our heart, and we're, we're, we're demonstrating that joy in the world, we stand out. And boy, the world needs it. They need to know there's hope. And there's something more than what they're experiencing today. God help us to be what we ought to be for the unsaved world. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the privilege that we've had to be here tonight, Lord, to try to wrap our mind even a little around your word and to grasp and glean what you've given to us. And 
Lord, tonight, help us, Father, just to be what we ought to be before the unsaved world. Lord, they have nothing better than now. This is all the